Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few seconds of your time before the podcast starts. Just wanted to let you know about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. is a powdered drink mix intended to help you focus and accomplish your goals. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle of the Day podcast, we have Michael Laron on the show. Michael is an author, but that's just his side hustle. He has a full-time job. And on top of that, he is also going to law school to benefit his writing career. It's a really interesting story. You're going to want to listen to this one. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent, and I'm super excited and honored to have Michael Laron here. Michael, why don't you jump in here? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Trent. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. My name is Michael Laron. I am the author of over 50 science fiction and fantasy books and self-help books for writers. I, I write fiction primarily, but I also help writers write with my YouTube channel, Author Level Up. And I've managed to balance a writing career with a full-time job in the insurance industry, being a dad, raising a family, and attending law school classes in the evenings. So that's my uh, 15-second elevator pitch. Yeah. And and that's amazing. You know, all those things that you rattled off there. I mean, it's a lot of people are like, I have a full-time job. How can I run a business, you know, a side hustle, but you've got the full-time job, a YouTube channel, a po- three podcasts we talked about uh, before we started recording, and you're going to law school at night, and you've got a family, like, uh, f- let's jump into that. Like, how how is it that you manage to accomplish all those things when a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that? Well, the truth is that I figured out a magical way to dilate time so that I can get six extra hours out of my day. <laughs> That's the the short answer. I'm just kidding. Uh, somebody <laughs> said that on my YouTube channel once, and I, I guess had to, I had to repeat that. That was awesome. Well, of course. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's it's interesting because for me, this really is what I want to do. And uh, maybe we can get into this a little later. But I I had a near death experience. And after that experience, I realized, hey, I want to be a writer. This is what I want to do. And so I have been relentless about cutting anything out of my life that is not writing related or family related. So I gave up my other hobbies. I used to play video games on the weekends. I don't do that anymore. I, I, used, to, I used to own six or seven different instruments. I played saxophone, tuba, piano, guitar, accordion melodica. I sold all those things so that I could, you know, purchase my first book. So for me, it really is when I'm not at work or with my family, I am writing and I have a very devoted mindset to accomplishing something with my writing career every single time. I, I, I have a pretty big work ethic. I'm pretty, pretty disciplined. So that's why I'm able to get as much done as I want to, because one, I've got the, I've got the passion and the purpose. I know exactly why I'm doing this because of the experience that I had. That gives me endless energy. And so when I wake up every day, I'm I'm just enthused to achieve and hustle. Wow. 
That is amazing. And, you know, a lot of people don't have that same dedication, like to be able to just cut everything else out. And you know what, that's something I've, I've tried to do. I can't say I'm as dedicated as you are. uh, But, you know, it is one of those things where it's like, I enjoy video games, but you know what, it doesn't help me get any closer to my goal. Let's, let's get rid of those. Um, I, I'm just really impressed by your, your work ethic. And you know what, you're, like you said, you're always writing because you average, you say about five to seven books a year, which is no small feat. And then on top of that, you're helping other people write as well. And you're writing for other people. I mean, that's on top of going to law school at night. Like we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but it's just really impressive that you can accomplish all that. And it shows what is possible if you are truly dedicated or you really do give it your all, which, you know, like I said, a lot of people are not doing. Yeah. And, and a lot of that has to do, you know, about the people, why they're not doing it. A lot of it has to do with fear. And one of the things that I have been working with writers on is how to get a handle on your fear. Because if you can get a handle on your fear, you can get a handle on your career. Because so many of us grow up in a very traditional capitalist society, right? And I don't mean that politically, but I'm just saying we are taught that you have to work for a company and that the company provides you everything that you need. And so what happens is people end up being becoming codependent. So they don't know, they don't know how to live without a company in their lives. And so when they want to start a business, there's this infinite fear because it is the exact opposite of what you have been taught. And with that fear comes decisions, a lack of wanting to make decisions, lack of self, self-doubt, um, self-esteem issues, because you don't know if you can do it. Like I'm an introvert. I'm a textbook INTJ. <laughs> you, you and I were kind of talking about this before our call here. And I'm just not a salesy guy. But I can still start a business and do very well for myself all I have to do is be able to get over that fear because everything you want is on the other side of fear. And so if you can understand that, recognize the power that it has over you and start to confront it, then that is how you can start making progress that you didn't know you could make. Wow. Yeah. Just, you know, overcoming that fear is really a big thing. And you know what, I can speak to that because, you know, a lot of reasons why I don't feel like I'm as accomplished as I should be is because of fear. And so I completely agree with that. That's really great that you're teaching people, you know, how to overcome that in regards to their writing, because I mean, there's lots of people that have great ideas and great stories in their head, but they're afraid of the reception of what it's going to be like. Exactly. They're, they're scared of what people are going to say and they're scared of the negative feedback because the negative feedback is always the loudest but they don't always also think about the positive feedback. You know, it could be some guy in Arizona that sends you a text message or not text message, but an email that says, Hey, I loved your book. Your book changed my life. And that's what matters. Not some random uncle or, (laughs) you know, somebody that doesn't have any kind of a vested interest in seeing you succeed. It's focusing on the people who, people who have the ears to hear what you have to say. And that can be really hard to do when you're a first time writer Uh, and building a business too, because there's so, 
everyone expects you to fail, you know, because you're doing something that you, you're doing something that is so foreign to most people sitting in a room for dozens of hours on end, making stuff up with the hopes of selling it to random strangers across the world. That's kind of crazy. If you think about it, (laughs) building a business from the ground up around a product that you really believe in that no one has ever used or thought of. That's just as crazy really. And uh, that can be really, really scary. But if you lean into it and, and learn to be comfortable with the, with the discomfort, amazing things can happen in your life. Yeah, that is incredible. I, I have not thought of, you know, starting a business as sitting dozens of, dozens of hours in a room making stuff up. But really, <laughs> when, you, when you break it down, that, that kind of is what it comes down to. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I want to ask you about, you know, one of the other things you're tackling right now, you know, we talk about uh, the writing aspect, but where does the law school fit in? Like, how does the law school relate to your writing career? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people ask me this because they're like, you're an author and you're going to law school, but I thought you wanted to be an author. And the answer to that is that I happen to be in a town that has a law school that has a new program, and it's a a law degree for risk management and compliance. It's for people who want to know the law, but who don't want to practice it. So this law degree is, it tends to be cheaper. And also my employer said that they would pay for it. So not only do I get a benefit of getting an advanced education degree that my employer will recognize and pay for, and that will give me benefits on the job, the the law school also allowed me to take any other electives that I wanted. So the lifeblood of any author in today's digital age is copyright. So I got the opportunity to take copyright law, where I basically sat in a room and um, no one else really participated. So the class was really just a conversation between me and the professor. So I got to bring all these selfish questions about self-publishing and publishing contracts and all that to a a practicing intellectual property attorney. Um, I also got to take employment law, which I'm going to someday have to employ people. So it's helpful to know what those laws are and helpful to know what the pitfalls are. And so it ended up being this really great, you know, hit three birds with one stone um, way for me to help improve myself improve my current standing in my current career, but also give me a knowledge base that is a little bit unusual in the writing space, meaning that it's rare to encounter authors that have um, a very deep understanding of copyright. So it, it also distinct, distinguishes me in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you summed it up perfectly, three birds with one stone. Like that's, <laughs> that's impressive that you, you know, had that uh, foresight that you could use this in the future that it could help you now that it will help your career later. Like that's just, that's fantastic on your part. And you know what, it is a big deal to understand copyright law and, you know, employment law down the road for you because they are things that you will accomplish. A lot of people will get to that point and then like, Oh, I need to figure this out. Now I need to, you know, I need to really get after this when it's already a little too late. So you're ahead of the game. Yeah. You got to stay ahead and and thinking long-term is something that's also important, not just for authors, but also for entrepreneurs, because to your point, you know, if you end up with a gigantic multi-million dollar contract on your desk tomorrow and you don't know anything about contracts, you got a problem. So 
trying to figure out how to head off those problems before they start is a great tip. Yeah. <laughs> you could be signing the rights away to your company. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. And not even know it. That's the scary part. Not yep. even know it. There's so, so many sneaky things in contracts that uh, can get you into a lot of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take it back a little bit before we move towards the future of, you know, what was that moment that made you realize you wanted to be an author? You know, you talked about this near-death experience, but what what was it that made you click that said, I can make a difference through writing? Yeah, well, the, the year was 2012. And my wife and I were out on a nice dinner. And we went to a fine restaurant and had a great night. And later that night, I fell ill with what I thought was food poisoning. And it turned out it put me in the hospital and I didn't leave the hospital for a month. And not only did I have food poisoning, I caught uh, another infection while I was at the hospital and the doctors just didn't know what it was. Uh, They were giving me all these sorts of uh, things. And at, at one point they were pretty much ready to give up because they just didn't, they couldn't understand why I was having the, the symptoms I was having. And it took a phone call to a friend halfway across the country who happened to be a doctor that said, hey, it sounds like you've got blah, blah, blah. And so I happened to mention to the doctors that, hey, it sounds like I've got blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, maybe you do have blah, blah, blah. And then they were able to take care of it. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's t- terrible, just terrible doctors on, on, on that part. And the funny part is the day I got out or the week I got out of the hospital, there was an article in the USA Today about this particular type of infection and how it was killing people all over the country, particularly young people. And a couple of more days, I would have been a goner, you know, and I remember laying on my hospital bed and thinking to myself, I was just staring at a wall and I was doped up on morphine. And I said, what am I doing with my life? You know, I was working a, a dead end job as a claims adjuster. I hated it. There was just no joy in that job at all. And I wanted to be a writer and I went to school for writing and I had written short stories here and there and no one had ever taken my work seriously. And I'd sent stuff off to traditional publishers and Penguin Random House said, no, thanks. See see you later. Good, sir. And I decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, there's no one who's going to open the door for me. It has to be me. And shortly after that is when I discovered the power of self-publishing. And before self-publishing had been kind of, uh, they point at you and laugh because usually it was people printing books, spending thousands of dollars to print hundreds of books that would sit in your garage that no one would ever want to buy. But because Amazon Kindle had launched the Kindle and they launched their Kindle publishing program, self-publishing was, it was completely different now. And I found the creative pen, Joanna Penn. I found a nonprofit called the Alliance of Independent Authors. And I started to realize, wait, I can, I can publish a book all, all myself and I can keep the rights and I can sell it to people and make a 70% royalty and I can tell whatever story I want. And all I have to do is figure out someone to edit it and someone to get a cover design. Why not do this? And so I swore that I would become a writer and that I would bend the universe around me in order to make that happen. And so um, I published my first book in 2014 and uh, haven't looked back. Wow. That's an incredible story. I, I love how the way you described that of, you know, you're going to bend the universe around you to make that happen. That is dedication and you're, you're proving it. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, it took this experience for it to 
help you realize that. But that's what it takes for a lot of people is, you know, this dramatic circumstance for you to realize this isn't the life I wanted. I need to pursue the life I really do want. Yeah. And and it's human nature that people don't change unless they have an incentive to do so. And, you know, I'm not recommending that anybody go off and have a near-death experience tomorrow in order to figure out what your passion is. But there's got to be something out there that triggers some sort of spark inside of you to, to hustle. And if you can figure out what that is, then that's just as good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the self-publishing side of things. And, you know, it is definitely not as big a taboo as it was, you know, a few years back. Uh, you know, a lot of people now kind of consider books more as, you know, at least uh, entrepreneurs consider books more as like a business card or, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things they have to check off the list. But, you know, how is it that the skills of writing, how would that help a small business owner now, nowadays? Yeah. You know, if, if you view it as a check the box, I got a book, that's probably not a good idea for you to write a book (laughs) because people are going to buy it and they're going to be like, this guy was just checking the box because he felt like he had to write a book. People can see right through that, you know? Um, But I do think that having the skill of a copywriter And the skill of being able to logically order your thoughts and order those thoughts around people's desires and be able to communicate that either on your website, in a book, if that's what you decide to do, um, in your product copy on Amazon. I think all of that is really, really important. And I I think, I mean, for me, it has been just an um, an enormous calling card to be able to have not just one book but several books and be able to think about it like this. If you are starting a business and a core part of your business is pushing back on the status quo, then don't consider the book as a book. Think about it as thought leadership. So when you are, maybe you're creating a different kind of product that no one's ever seen before, or maybe you've got a better mousetrap, so to speak. And you are convinced that this is the reason people should consider it. Well, maybe you can have a blog or maybe you can turn on, I mean, maybe you don't even have to write at all. Maybe you can just turn on a camera and get in front of the camera and talk about why you feel the way you feel about the product or the way you feel about the industry. So I I like to challenge people not to think about writing as writing, but to think about it in the entrepreneurial space um, as thought leadership, because you can, you can, you can get further. You, you can take your information further that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, a book that I love is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. And that started by him writing a blog. You know, that's just him basically writing every day on his blog. And it ended up gaining traction to the point where he got a book deal out of it. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't out there to, to write a book. He was just out there to write and, you know, get the habit of writing and it turned into something much bigger than that. Yeah. James Clare's he's a good dude. He's, he's written some really good stuff. Um, I wrote a book kind of, um, modeled after some of the things that he did with mental models. Hmm. And, um, I really enjoyed uh, his take on that. And, And James Clare in many ways is a perfect example of thought leadership. Someone who really understands what it means to be productive you know, and, yep. and how do you, how do you take 
areas of your life that are not working for you? And how do you get them to work for you so that you can achieve what you want to achieve? And I think that's a blueprint. Even if you, even if you don't write stuff that is as thoroughly researched as his his stuff, I still think that there's value in speaking your mind because also in speaking your mind, you get a sense of how people respond to that. So, you know, that there's, there's also that benefit too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Thought leadership is definitely, you know, the way people try to position themselves now nowadays and, social media and, you know, to help gain an audience and going back to that, you know, a small business owner learning how to write. Um, I mean, there's an art to writing your Instagram bio or your YouTube channel description. Like there's an art to that. So, I mean, it really is a valuable skill to learn, you know, from the get go, uh, when you're a solopreneur, like myself, or yeah. even when you have a team, you can understand those things a little bit better and be able to guide people a little bit better than you otherwise would. So writing is a skill I need to personally learn to do better, but you know, I'm, I'm trying. So I'll, we'll have to talk more about how I can improve my skills here after, hey, after we're done. But <laughs> I'm here anytime. Anything you want to know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, one thing that you've talked about that I really am fascinated by is you're not afraid of technology. So there is so much technology based around writing now. Um, so like somebody who's not comfortable writing, but they're comfortable with speaking. You can speak something and then have a translating service, get 95% right, you know, what you said. And, um, you know, there's artificial intelligence out there and, this is something you're not afraid of. And I feel like author is such a, an old fashioned profession in that, you know, this is what it is. You write a story, you get it published through a publishing house and you are romantic about this idea. What is it that makes you not afraid of technology and the way that things are going? Yeah. So, so, um, I, 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 I will open the, the, the can on Pandora's box here. So we can kind of get into a couple of things. <laughs> so um, I'll talk a little bit of strategy here. So my strategy as an author, well, my first off, my mission as an author is about as vanilla as it gets. And that is to entertain and or delight people in everything that I read, everything that I write. It's, it's that, that really is every author's vision, mission statement. All right. Um, I, I do that through five strategic areas. The first is become a world-class content creator. So how can I tell better stories? Become a world-class marketer. So how can I get good at marketing? Also become a technology-driven writer. Become a data-driven writer because data is the part that people often forget about with technology. And then how can I become the writer of the future? So in talking about the last three, data-driven writer, technology-driven writer, writer of the future, what does that look like? And the reason I came came to that is because self-publishers got their start because we were uh, David out of David and the Goliath, right? We were the underdogs. No one ever thought self-publishing would be cool. And then all of a sudden, here we are making all this money as self-published writers with books that look indistinguishable in, in the best cases from traditional publishers. And the great part about that was that we became who we are is because we were nimble. 
traditional publishers, they saw all of these things coming. They saw the Kindle coming. If they wanted to, they could have created the Kindle, but they chose not to do it because they preferred paperbacks. So when self-publishing became what it is today, I noticed that the traditional publishers really struggled and they just could not turn the ship around. And it's only now that they're just now starting to come around to eBooks. And so I thought that's, that's not a traditional publisher thing. That's a human nature thing. So might there be a day, one day, 10, 20 years in the future, where self-published writers are going to start romanticizing the way they do business. And so when the next thing comes along, here we are not wanting to accept saying, oh, no one will ever buy that. No one will ever, no one will ever um, uh, download, a, download a, a digital book, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so I was like, okay, if that's true and if human nature bears that out and it does every day in the corporate world, you know, people resistant to change, how can I not be that person? Mm-hmm. That's how it started for me, the kind of a long way to get to this. That's how it started. And so I said, you know what? I need to be nimble meaning I need to continue pivoting. I need to continue adopting new things that are going to make me have staying power and stay relevant, you know, because that's ultimately what you want to do. You want to stay relevant. You don't have to be at the cutting edge. You don't have to, you know, innovate like crazy, but you do have to stay relevant. And that requires you to adopt technology when you don't have to do it. You can because most people, they'll adopt technology when it presents itself and when they have to do it. So how can I get ahead of that curve? And the, the answer just happened to be that it's adopting technology. So um, and, and, and can I continue? I know I'm going yeah, on long. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Um, so one of the things that I, I had to do out of necessity, and this is kind of a technological thing for writers, is usually when people think of writing, you're in front of your desk and you're typing on your computer. And then you go to work or then you go do something else. And then you come back and you type on your computer. Well, I told you all the things that I have going on in my life. It's impossible for me to sit, to find two hours to sit down in front of my computer every day. So I have an app called Scrivener and it has an iOS version and it allows you to sync between your desktop and your phone. So I started writing novels on my phone when I was in the doctor's office, when I'm in line at the grocery store, when I'm in the back seat of an Uber car, and then I can sync it to my desktop. So I did the math on that, and that improved my productivity and my work counts by 40%. Wow. You know, that's a really easy way to adopt technology. I didn't have to do that. You know, I, I could have, you know, just been okay with morning and night sessions, but I, I learned to adjust because it, it, it's a weird thing to get over writing on your phone, writing with your thumbs. But I learned to basically um, help myself get in the zone every single time I pull out my phone. Instead of checking Instagram, I write a couple sentences toward my novel. And that has added up over the past you know, three or four years. So that's an easy example of how um, writers can take technology. But there's other things too. I mean, there's there's technology out there that we haven't even thought about. Um, artificial intelligence for editing. You know, I built a mm. artificial intelligence editor prototype for my work so that it, that the machine, it understands all the errors that I've made in my past books and then helps me become a better version of myself as opposed to like a Grammarly or a pro writing aid where they're going to give you edits based on millions of, m- millions of people, things that they've added. So 
there's lots of really interesting technology out there and it's amazing how free and low cost it is. Yeah. That's, that's really impressive and really exciting. Um, and you know, it goes back to the atomic habits there. You open your phone, you type out a couple sentences, you know, yep. rather than most of us pull out a phone, tap that icon and doom scroll. To, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And one thing that I think also makes you unique is I, I saw one of your YouTube videos that you write to the market. So you are, you know, not necessarily stuck on a specific idea in that you're romantic about that idea, you can adopt whatever that character you developed or whatnot to what the market is demanding right now. Yeah, I um, it, it's it's a bit of a misnomer that I write to market. I write to market without selling my soul. There's a difference. <laughs> I'm probably going to get tomatoes thrown at me by some people <laughs> by saying that. But you, you can either write your passion completely. So if I want to write, a poetry collection about plants. I can do that. I don't know how many people are going to buy that, but it doesn't matter because I wrote my passion or I can write because let's say paranormal romance that takes place in universities is the hot thing right now. Well, I've never even written a paranormal romance, but I can go off and I can write a paranormal romance and I can do all the things that other authors are doing, but that's going to feel like a job to me because it's not much fun. And you'll burn out really easily. So what I've tried to do is find that intersection between art and commerce where I'm writing something that I truly enjoy that also just happens to be what the market wants. So okay. it's, it's a, it's a weird balance. And ironically, it's taken me about 45 books to figure that out, <laughs> but you know, you just keep, keep at it. And, um, you'll eventually get there, but I primarily in my uh, science fiction and fantasy, write Urban fantasy now. So okay. a la Dresden Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that sort of thing. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I like that you you know mentioned that you're not selling your soul to do this. <laughs> it's easy to uh, do um, because there's a oh, lot yeah. of good there's a lot of good money in it. Um and you know, that's one of the the big problems. And, and it's one of the big differences between creative entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, right? Because if you're an entrepreneur, you you are you're, you're wedded to the market. I mean, unless you want to spend a lot of money to create a new segment, most people don't have the money to do that. You pretty much, you're, you're kind of tied to what the market wants. But with a creative entrepreneur, you're not tied to that at all because tastes are cyclical. You know, I mean, just yeah. right now, if I, if I said I was writing a vampire book, some people would roll their eyes. They'd say, oh, great, you know. Just five to seven years ago, I, I remember a craze where people were going crazy over vampires that glitter, sparkle in the sun. Yeah. You know, it's all cyclical. It, it, vampires, they'll be back. They'll be back it, because society changes, culture changes. And so the book that you're writing today may not have much of an audience, but that could change five, seven years from now, even 30 years Absolutely. from now. Yeah. You know, and so that's, that's the beauty of um, choosing what you can write and, and having that power and that freedom because you never know when you write as many books as I do, what ultimately will be the best performing book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's great. Also is those words last forever too. So let's say you come out with something and it was a flop just because you were late to the market on this hot new trend. Well, yeah. give it time. 
it, you can leave the book out there and then all of a sudden it could be the book that, you know, uh, people pick up five years down the road, 10 years, 20 years, you know, uh, like you said, it, those cycles change and um, something that's, you know, out of fashion now may not be later. Like, uh, you know, I think maybe I'm not big on fashion, but, you know, in the last couple of years, 80s style has, you know, yeah. come back neon colors and all these things. And um, it's, it's just crazy to see, you know, these trends come back and you know what, that's the way it is with books as well. But you're making me think I need to be an author here because like you said, I'm tied to the market as an entrepreneur, but with an author, you, you're not really as tied to that. And that sounds appealing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's appealing. The only downside to it is um, if you make that decision, you have to kind of live with it, you know, because mm -hmm. if you, if you write a book that doesn't do very well, that's on you, you know, and, and that's, sometimes hard for authors to take because this is a book that you've spent, like I said, dozens and dozens of hours in a chair making up and that book feels like your baby. And yep. it can be a really, really tough blow to the ego um, that people aren't buying it. You know, just like, just like if you build a business and build a product that uh, no one's buying it, that's hurtful too, but at least there's some data there, you know, whereas with, with the book, there's no data. It's all emotion and it can be hard to hard to deal with, but very gratifying when it works. Yeah. Is there a tip that you have for removing the emotion from that? Because like you said, that is translatable into, uh, you know, creating a product. Is there some way to, you know, kind of remove yourself from it and take that information and move on with it? Keep writing the next book. That's the, that's the secret. You know, it's, I, I, for example, I published two books last week and I have no, I, I have no idea how they're even selling right now. I, I, in fact, I'd be shocked if they even sold a copy each. <laughs> and that's, that's the honest, honest truth. Cause I haven't done anything to market them. Um, these books are kind of, they're not really to market, you know, they're just kind of, there were books that were on my heart. And so okay. I, I made the decision that I'm going to publish these books regardless because I believe so strongly in them. And if they don't sell, they don't sell. That's okay because I'm writing my next book. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, keep creating. That's that's what ABC. really, yeah. Always, <laughs> always be creating. You had this epiphany a while back of, you know, I need to be a writer. This is what I love. This is why I enjoy. Um, and you had some experience prior to that, you know, like you mentioned the short stories and, um, whatnot, but what would you say was a challenge when you decided I'm going to be a writer? What was a challenge you never expected to come across? The biggest challenge I never expected was how many hats I had to wear. Mm. I have to be an author. I have to learn how to be an editor so that I can speak my editor's language. I have to, I don't have to know how to design covers, although it is helpful, but I have to know the ins and outs of design and cover design so I can speak to my cover designer. I have to understand business. I have to understand data and analytics. How are my books selling? Where across the world are they selling? That's another can of worms because there really aren't any good tools out there to help you aggregate that data. Um, I have to be a marketer. I have to learn how to be a formatter. Um, anything that comes up, you have to learn how to do it unless you're willing to spend a lot of money on somebody who may or may not help you do it. 
like just this morning, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I have a book that I published through a nonprofit organization. It's the Alliance of Independent Authors. They're um, uh, a nonprofit for self-published writers. And they help them with giving advice and things like that. And I published a book with them as a, you know, as a pro bono. And um, they were in the process of figuring out how to do the print book. And we're working with a, um, a professional indexer. Fun fact, did you know that there are people out there whose their sole job is to create indexes in the backs of books? That's actually a career. I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, it's not something I would think of off the top of my head. Of hey, I didn't I'm think about it off the top of my head either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so they hired someone to do that for this book that I was writing. And so the indexer came back and said, hey, I got all these problems. I'm going to need someone to send me an in, Adobe InDesign file. And so everyone at the nonprofit's kind of looking at each other like, well, we don't have InDesign. I don't know how to use InDesign. Michael, do you know how to use InDesign? And well, now I got to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I get, and I have to do that if I if I want to have a print book that I can sell for fourteen ninety nine. You know, I mean that's those sorts of things where it, it just happens. You know, and I, I narrated my own audiobook. and so doing that, I had to learn how to become an audiobook narrator, and I had to learn the ins and outs of sound design and mixing. And I mean, it's it's just it never ends. There's always something you got to learn, and I I never in a million years thought that I would have to wear so many hats because all I wanted to do when I was on the hospital bed was write books. Yeah. I didn't know that this is what this, this is what this career would entail and the choices it would entail. But I, I, I like knowledge. I like learning new things. And so it doesn't bother me that much, but I'm really looking forward to the day when I can scale and start yeah. to outsource a lot of this stuff. Yeah. That, that's, you know, I think uh, a lot of, a young entrepreneur's dream is, you know what, I want to, I want to be able to get big enough to where I don't have to do all the small menial tasks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently hired a video editor. That was a kind of a big milestone for me from my YouTube channel. So that was pretty exciting, but there's a lot yeah. more left to do. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on getting to that point where you can outsource that, that aspect. Um, one thing you touched on though was the audiobook side of things. How do you see audiobooks moving forward in relation to your writing? I think audio is the future. Um, this past, it was the second quarter of this year for the first time in the eight years that I've been publishing or seven or eight years, I forget how long it's been. Might even be that bit long, but the first time since I've been publishing, audio sales for my audiobooks have eclipsed my ebook sales. Hmm. Now, most authors, Self-published authors make most of their money from eBooks. Print is—it's kind of in there. They—they they make some money with the print, but it's not—you know—it—it's it, lunch money, really. Yeah. Most most people, it's eBooks. If you invested in audiobooks, they're starting to pay dividends right now. If you have the right book, I have to say that because a lot of people think they can just put any book in audio and it'll do well. It has to be the right book. Um, so a lot of the audiobooks that I've produced in the past two or three years are really paying dividends now. Um, and so I think that the future of audio is going to be very, very interesting. I think that professionally narrated audiobooks will always be a market. I think that there is going to be a market for AI translation. So imagine clicking a button and then you can take, a, take like a, a avatar of my own voice or a vo of, a, you could take an avatar of Morgan Freeman and have right. and, and have Morgan Freeman read your audiobook, and that costs half the price of a professionally narrated book. 
Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of people out there, they just, they just want to listen for the information or for the story. They don't necessarily care about the performance. And so what I think is going to happen is that audio is going to be highly artisan on one side with professional narrators and then almost like a mass market audio, almost like a mass market paperback mm-hmm. where an AI will read um, your audio. Um, I also think that there's going to be interesting opportunities with um, uh, smart speakers, you know, yeah. the device that begins with A, I've got one right yeah. next to me, so I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> I don't want to trigger it. <laughs> but I think that there's interesting opportunities there. Um, there's audio. It, the future with audio is going gonna, gonna to rest with the people that have the most audio, you know, because in order to uh, have access to a lot of those opportunities, you've got to have books that are already in audio. So yeah. uh, the future is yet to come, but I'm excited. And as it pertains to my business, I'm doubling down on audio. So I'm going to be narrating all of my nonfiction moving forward. And um, I think that that's the great selling point and also something that I could easily take. I can use that, that audio and I can use that to turn it into an avatar of my voice that I can then license to other people if they want to use it or that I can use to sell directly to readers on my own website. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. I, I didn't even think about the, you know, selling your, your own likeness to, yeah. uh, you know, for audiobooks. That's, that's a great idea. I mean, and give it some time, but when I, you know, write something about my business journey, I'm going to have Michael or Ron, you know, narrate it for me. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, just give me a call. Let me know. <laughs> to be fair though, I do, I, you know, you kind of alluded to this, but you know, the, the audiobooks that I enjoy the most are the ones that are read by the author. And yep. I like understanding the voice behind the pages. And so usually when I listen to an audiobook, I'm more into it when the author's, uh, you know, the author's the one who's saying it because you can sense some of those nuances, some of that passion behind it yep. uh, that somebody who's just reading it from a script doesn't get. Yeah. And that's one of the gambles that I'm making right now. Um, you can, well, you can, you can see it directly behind me, that closet over there. Mm-hmm. That is my audiobook booth. So okay. this past summer I spent a thousand dollars. I bought new mic, um, new equipment, new software, all that stuff. And then I bought, um, like, uh, acoustic foam panels and I put those up on the wall. And my gamble is that I can make this money back as an ROI in about three years. Yeah. So if I can do that, then it's going to be who know the sky's kind of the limit because I can narrate my own audio. It's a good selling point. And in three years I can have 10 to 15 audiobooks out, you know, and then those people like you, who you listen for the, the narrator being the same person that wrote the book, that's a great selling point. And there's very few people in my space right now that do that. Yeah. And so it's a market opportunity. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you know what? That's more power to you for, you know, converting that closet because I mean the whole, the whole thing, even though we haven't touched on this per se, the thing that keeps coming up to me is you're just not letting any excuses get in your way because you know what, there are a million excuses and you've eliminated all of them and you're going after it. And I've got to applaud you for that. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I, for me, it's, I don't even think about it. I just, I just do it because it's fun. Like to me, I'm a big believer in everything you do needing to be fun. 
Um, even if it's accounting, you got to find some way <laughs> to make it fun because if you can make it fun, then you don't, you don't realize that the time is flying. I mean, what do they say? Time flies when you're having fun. Yep. That's, that's kind of my mantra. A mentor um, has always said that to always have fun. I sent him uh, a prototype that I built of um, a tool that basically takes all my sales reports so I sell books on Amazon, Apple, Barnes & Noble. They all give you these gargantuan monstrosities of sales reports every month. So I built a tool that takes all those reports and aggregates them onto one spreadsheet and gives me nice little charts and graphs and all that. So I don't have to do any of that data entry. And so I sent him a, a, like, a, like a video of the prototype. And he's like, Michael, this looks wonderful. I don't know what the hell you did, but it looks wonderful. Um, continue having fun. <laughs> and I, I said, duly noted, I, I will continue having fun with this. So if, even if it's counting, you got to find some way to have fun yeah. with what you're doing. <laughs> and, and to me, my mind is, Hey, you could sell that program. You could sell that to aggregator to. <laughs> and that's, other that's exactly where my mind was going. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you told me to have fun <laughs> yeah. because if I start selling it, 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 it could potentially not be as fun because then I'm, I'm in the software development business. So I Correct. think he, uh, he saved me from myself there. Yeah, there you go. Maybe each time before you, uh, you know, record an audio book, you just sing a verse of a song that you love or something just to, you know, have some fun with it before exactly. you get into it. <laughs> that's, that's how you got to do it. However you want to do it. Like for me, when I, like a lot of people like to celebrate when they publish books, like for me, it's just kind of a regular occurrence. But the one thing I allow myself is whenever I hit the publish button, I play We Are the Champions by Queen. Ah, oh, nice. Because that like, like epitomizes, I mean, it just symbolizes what it's like to write a book and get it out there in the world. So, yeah. you know, you got to have fun. Got to have fun. Yeah. And, and think of all the people that you're affecting by having that book out there, whether the sales are hundreds or thousands or five you know, exactly. Each one of those people are going to be impacted by that book one way or another. So celebrate, you know, make sure to uh, you know, celebrate those wins, even if it's a quick song and then you're back to it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you, and then the funny part about that, I love that you said that, that the things that you do impact and influence people that you don't, you don't know. And it influences and impacts people in ways that you don't realize. So I published a book, Gosh, it must have been five years ago. And I, I got an email the other day um, from someone, I, I believe he was in Germany. And he said, I was thinking about committing suicide. And I read your book. And now I realized that I, I didn't want to do that. And I'm following a passion. And for the first time in my life, I felt alive. And you get an email like that. And it's like, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, because I... I was just sitting in a chair making stuff up. You know, I was just having fun, following my fingers. And to know that my book had an impact on just one person in that way. I mean, you think about all the fear that you have in your life. Oh, I don't want to publish this. I'm not good enough. Or I'm scared of publishing this because I don't think the world's going to want it. Or I think they're going to be negative and so on and so forth. And then you don't publish the book. You'll never get an email like that. You know, and... I get emails like that on a regular basis and it's, it's humbling in one way because I'm just, I'm just a random guy in Iowa, you know, <laughs> having, having fun with writing. Um, but it's, it's really cool to know that um, my work is having some sort of impact on people and 
that's also what keeps me going. Yeah, man, you said you put chills down my spine with that. Like that was an incredible story. And I'm I, glad I, I you're don't, I don't cry very much, but I was in tears when I read that email. It was um, just, it was overwhelming, you know, yeah. and it, it, it's, an, it's, it's, it's amazing that we can have the ability to do that as entrepreneurs, you yeah. know, with the, with the products that we create. It's just, it's just such a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, this has been an amazing conversation. I know you're efficient with your time and, you know, I've already gone over the time that we, that I said I had allotted for this. So I don't want to keep you, but I want to ask you one final question uh, before I let you go. But before that, I want to give you a chance to, you know, tell my audience where to best find more information about you to find more out about your books and your services. Absolutely. So if you're interested in the fiction that I write, as I said, I write science fiction and fantasy, check that out at michaellaron.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L-A-R-O-N-N. I know it's a mouthful, but can't do anything about it. And then if you're interested in my writing or uh, more of the entrepreneurial things that I'm doing, check me out at authorlevelup.com. I've got links to all the books that I've written. I've got links to my YouTube channel, all my podcasts, and uh, everything I do on the uh, entrepreneurial side lives there. So that's authorlevelup.com. Perfect. And I will make it easier. I will just include links in the show description so people can just click it without having to uh, type it all out. But um, the final question I want to ask you is personal or business, what is it that excites you about the future? What excites me the most is the fact that we have everlasting freedom. So there's a way to do virtually anything you potentially want to do. You just have to figure out how to do it. And that requires you to be resourceful. But if you can be resourceful, you'd be shocked at what you can do. You really would. It, it, there's nothing stopping you from doing a lot of stuff. It, and, and yeah, maybe, maybe you don't know how to code, right? Maybe, maybe the tool that you want to build has to do with code. You can hire someone to do that for you and, and the cost would shock you. And that's just, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. That is very exciting. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. Like this has been an incredible opportunity. Uh, you know, I already was expecting great things, you know, in research beforehand. Uh, but I've really been blown away by everything you've uh, provided here. So thank you, Michael. And you know, I'm excited for people to hear this, but, you know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle today.